time in the word and together as your family is the body of Christ. Lord, this message is, God, it's important for us to get a hold of what's happening in our nation, in the kingdom of God, in, in the church, and in this church. God, you know my uh, hesitancy at points in this message. Father, I pray that you would let my words be yours. God, give us a heart to hear from the Spirit of God this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Unless you've been living under a rock, you know that the Supreme Court of the United States this week ruled on two very important matters that were before it. Actually, they only ruled on one, but there was an effect on both. The Supreme Court ruled on DOMA and declared part of DOMA, which is the Defense of Marriage Act, as unconstitutional. 1996, President Clinton passed the Defense of Marriage Act, and part of that was having a, a federal marriage definition that marriage was between one man and one woman. That's been in the fact that we ever even had to do that is, is mind-boggling. But that happened in 1996. That was overturned. So on the federal level, there is no definition of marriage on the books. Which means that every state... Now, this is, that's, that's the bad news, but there's, there's some good news. And I just want to give a, a little bit of here information. That means that each state is then left to determine what they believe marriage is defined as. So what, what, what the Supreme Court didn't do, which is important for us to know, is they did not make a 50-state mandate to accept gay marriage or not. They, by ruling that it was unconstitutional for them to de- define marriage, they left it at that, and now each state still has the ability and right to define marriage. Okay, so it's, it's, that's just what happened. Proposition 8, 7 million voters voted a number of years back. This church was a big part of of campaigning on that. By not ruling, they really just said that it was out of our jurisdiction to rule on this. What happens in Proposition 8, most of you maybe already know this, have figured out. If you're watching uh, mainline media, you're getting a different story. Okay, so this, this is the truth. Of, of what this means, and there's a lot of stuff we don't know how it's going to play out. By not ruling, the short of, of it is, is that the appellate court's decision that, um, over, that said it was unconstitutional, Proposition 8, that has been voided, and that's, been out of the, that's out of the play. So now it goes back to the first court that said Proposition 8 was unconstitutional. So everything goes back to that day. So... The state right now is actually a legal quandary. And already there, some departments are issuing marriage licenses and beginning to perform you know, gay marriage. The thing that's going to be challenged is that in the Constitution of the state of California, um, it does say that there needs to be an appeal, actual appeal, in order to overturn a piece of legislation like Proposition and it's because they struck down the appellate court's decision, there is no appeals on file. 
So this is going to be really interesting of what this comes out to be. There, on Monday, immediately, there's going to be back, we're going to be back in court over this issue. Um, le- legally, it's very possible that the only two, there's only two people who are supposed to get married. And that was the two people who filed the original case. It could come that they are the only two people who get to do that, and everyone else will go back into court. So that's just an update. That's the legal side of it. Um, if you want to write down, write this down. I, I apologize. I was going to put a link up there. www.citizenlink.org. And there's a, a window on there of what this means. And it's uh, folks on the families, political side, uh, just talking about what it means, what happened. They are, got a, little, a lot of information from that. It's helpful if you want to, want to hear that. So that's kind of what happened what it means for this nation. This isn't a a political message because I want to go on and say, what does this mean for us as believers? We're we're still in the family series. Last week we started the uh, the series on the Christian family. This is still part of it. We couldn't start today without updating because this affects us and affects families. It affects our nation. But what does this mean for us as believers. Well, what I believe it means is that we're living more and more in a society that has walked away from God. And we're living in a society that calls good evil and evil good. We're living in a, in a culture that, that is very contrary to biblical beliefs. I believe in the future it's going to open doors for more persecution against Christians, and the church. That's what I believe it means for us as believers. What does this have to do with the series on the family? On one side, very little. Very little. Because what the government says is okay and not okay, legal or illegal, does not affect me and the way I raise my children because I have a higher authority. I raise my children with the Bible as the standard. As Christians, that is our standard. And so as a Christian family, nothing's going to change for me. And I will always raise my children on the standard of the Word of God. Now, I want to make this really clear. This is going on the recording. It is really easy to make too big and get out of proportion the side that this is a homosexual thing. Do you know that all sex out of marriage is against what God has for us? This is not about homosexuality. It should not be. That's just one sin. Jesus came to set us free from sin. He is the Savior. I don't think Christians should ever point out one sin and lift it up and say, this is the bad sin. The Bible is very clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The reason I do point it out is because there's a political thing that's happening and showing in the government. And that will affect things to come. I believe that as this progresses on the federal level, 
that as a pastor and as a Christian because something that the Bible declares along with other things to be wrong, to be outside of the norm for God because the government is saying that is acceptable, the things that will begin to be passed after this will be anti-bigotry laws. And what will happen is because the government more and more says that this is okay, they will try to pass that saying that we have a standard that says otherwise. And I'm going to throw all sin from the pulpit. You know, God says that sin is wrong. We're not supposed to entertain it. We're not supposed to partake of it. So it's not just about homosexuality at all. It's just about sin. But because the, the government's getting involved in saying it's okay, the time will come when nobody will be able to say that it's not. Our personal convictions will not be able to be voiced outwardly without punishment. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's, it's, there's been pastors arrested already in, in Canada and other places. So, but as a family... I will continue to raise my children with the standard of the Word of God, which I should have that. As a family, you should raise your, you should raise your children on the authority of the Word of God. The laws of the land do not supersede God's laws. We obey the government, but we obey God first. Okay? So... As far as the series on families, I, I, I really believe that we needed to talk about this and, and just help us to understand what's going on. But it gives me some hope. Now, so that's kind of the update on, on the Supreme Court and what happened. What happened for us as believers, our fa- the series. Here's an update on the condition of God and his kingdom. Did you see this in the news? Okay. You don't, you don't hear much about it, so, so that's why we come here to church. Here's the update on God and his kingdom. Psalm 29.10 says that the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. Psalm 99.1 through 3. I'm going to just send these out. We can write down a passage if you'd like. The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Psalm 113, 5 says, Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? You know, I get this. And this is the imminent and the God that's near and the God that is all-powerful. Do you think he was moved by this ruling? (laughs) He wasn't moved by this ruling at all. Isaiah 40. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. And spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught. And reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. That's the situation on the kingdom of God. I think it's okay. 
The kingdom of God is intact. And we are part of the kingdom of God. Oh, to us who consider ourselves more part of the kingdom of the United States of America than the kingdom of our God. We were born in this country, but we were born into a kingdom that far outweighs, that far outlasts, that far outlives the kingdom of this nation. Psalm 62 says, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times. O people, pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. That's the update. That's what's happening. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The kingdom of this world, it's going to pass away. Our God and His kingdom will last forever. We need to make sure our calling, our election is sure in Him. And when we do that, we are secure in the kingdom of our God. No matter what happens in this nation, I will not be shaken. You will not be shaken. Put your hope and your trust in God alone. Not on this world. Not on the princes of this world. Not on government. I don't care what happens. My faith is secure in Him. Don't get blindsided. Don't be led astray in the worry of the things that are happening. The economy. The weather. The government. These things are all just birth pains of the thing to come. This morning as we worshipped, we saw, we heard, we visited with God Almighty and we sang, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. There is great things awaiting for those. Now, will there be times of tribulation to come? Yes, but our hope is secure. Don't be moved. Every time a word, and these words are coming from Christians. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Our hope is secure. It's in Him. That gets me excited. Praise the Lord, Pastor! We should be excited. And I don't say that for me, but, but we need to allow ourselves to say, yeah, this is okay. Do you know most of the world has lived under way worse persecution than this forever? And about changing laws... Change, we've been changing laws and walking away from the truth of God for centuries. You know, it used to be illegal in most states to fornicate out of marriage. Still on the books today, 30 states have anti-adultery laws. Still today, it's illegal to commit adultery. They don't enforce them, obviously. We've been passing laws to get rid of these things for millennia. What's, what, you know, what's interesting is there used to be a lot of laws about everything. They're in here. They don't work. Laws don't work. What works? Jesus Christ in our life who gives us his mind, his heart, who gives us freedom and forgiveness. That's where we trust, not in the laws of the land. Now, here... Romans chapter 13 declares, and you can write this down, but you don't have to turn there. You, you, you're welcome to. But Romans chapter 13 talks about the government. Now, in the time and writing of the New Testament, being a Christian was not a good thing. 
Rome wasn't too keen on Christians. By 70 AD, they were destroying the temple, and Nero, around that time, began to light Christians on fire in his garden to give him light at night. This is bad. So Romans 13 was written in a, in a time that Christianity wasn't too good, and it says the authorities that exist have been established by God. It was pretty bad. Do you know that Obama being president of the United States was established by God? Why? Well, the Bible says in Daniel that, that he changes the times and seasons and he removes kings and he raises up kings. He will use people to bring down governments, to raise up governments, to bring judgment upon the people. So God is not surprised by this. He's not surprised when any laws get passed. He doesn't go, oh, no, what am I going to do? The Supreme Court overruled me. <sighs> Maybe I should appeal it. He is the Supreme Court. He is enthroned on the circle of the earth, and we need to have our trust in him, not on what anyone says. He is in control. He places people in power. I, someday I'll ask him why. I, don't, I mean, there's some, there's some tough ones. But he does, and we'll see the big picture someday, and we'll understand fully. So he is in control. And he chooses his agents on the earth to establish kings, and he establishes people. He calls his people to love him, to serve him, to be salt and light, to live such godly lives that others will glorify God. So he puts rulers in place as his agents, police in place as his agents, but he also places us, believers, in place in this world to be his agents of righteousness. That's what we are. He has placed us in this world to be an agent for righteousness. The Bible says, live your lives in such a way that others will see your good works and glorify God on the day that he visits us. That's what we're called to be and to do. And it's a God-given place. And that's exciting. You know, he didn't, he didn't put me on this world to, to bring judgment. He might have put bad leaders into a nation to bring about judgment and allow things to happen. But that's not my role. My role is to be salt and light and to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's your role. Your role is to be a witness in this land to glorify God. How do we do that? As a nation... We can glorify God to the world, and I believe we did for some time. Been there, done that. Is it changing? Is this nation changed? And is it any longer glorifying God? Is it too late? It's not too late. But times have changed. The tide has somewhat changed, but it's not too late. There is hope. And we are the hope to live our lives in such a way that others will glorify God. That we stand up and we love everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Are we called to do anything less? We're called to love people so much that we share Jesus with them. I don't care about the sin. I don't get lost in a sin. We should never get lost in a sin. We lift up Jesus. 
And Jesus is the answer to all brokenness, to all sin. God has chosen us, His people, as His agents to bring glory to God, to glory to His name on this earth. Individuals, each of us in this, in this room today as individuals are called to live a life worthy of the calling. But He's also called us as families to glorify God. He's called us as families in this earth as a family unit to glorify God. And He's called us as a church collectively to glorify God. All of those accounts, that's our purpose on the world is to bring glory to Him. This morning, I want to focus on the family side of that. We're in the family series in the Christian household. So we want to focus on the family side that God has called families to glorify himself and this earth. You know, the Bible talks about family a lot. Last week, we, we I, 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 not jokingly, but, but brought about the side of families in the Bible that's like, wow, they were very dysfunctional. But he chose still to use families. God is called Father, and we are called his children. We are the bride. He is the bridegroom. God gives us picture using family analogy throughout the scripture. He wants to glorify himself in and through the family still today. Now here comes the disclaimer. Now God cares about family. He loves family. He establishes family. Blessed is he whose quiver is full of children, right? He who finds a wife finds a good thing. The Bible is full of family. But when I prayed this morning, the hesitancy of preaching a message like this is that there are people here today who aren't part of a family or who are part of a broken family, who don't have the ideal in their life. And that makes preaching a message like this difficult because I don't ever want to have anyone feel that they're not part of the family of God. I don't want anyone ever to feel shame over decisions made in the past. I don't want anyone to ever feel sadness at church because a message was preached about something that maybe was ripped from them. You are part of God's family. You can be single, divorced, widowed, orphaned. Children have moved out. You're part of God's family. He cares for you. You're part of the church family. We care for you. There's an exhortation, church. We care for them. We care for each other, no matter what the situation is. We're the family of God. We're here for singles and widows, divorcees and orphans. And we don't always do a good job at becoming a family. We as a church need to let it become part of our DNA to be a family and to love those who are not in families. The Bible says he places the solitary in families. It says we're supposed to look after the widows and the orphans. That's our job. So you may 
be this morning here this morning, and you might be the victim of family side. Someone or something may have come in and killed your family through divorce, maybe through having children outside of marriage. But whatever the cause, including if you were the cause in the past, it's possible that you killed your own family. You, you let something come in and destroy it or you made choices that have left you in a place. Listen, whatever the cause, there's love. There's acceptance. There's forgiveness, redemption, and justification. You're forgiven. This message is not to make you feel bad or to feel condemned, but to let you know that you're part of the family of God. And that we together need to be families. Now, quickly, there are no excuses. To receive forgiveness, there are no excuses. We don't give all the reasons that we did what we did. If there's something that's happened in your life and you were part of the reason that your family got broken, don't give God the reasons. You did what you did. He already knows. Just deal with it. If you've never dealt with it, today we're going to have a time at the end where you just deal with it and say, God, forgive me. Truly, sincerely, deeply ask forgiveness. Then receive it, live it, and move on. We don't live in condemnation or shame or guilt. But we also don't live in our issues and lift them up and say, this is the norm. We don't say, and this is what's happening. Well, I'm a single parent and I think single parents are better. We don't do that. We go to the Bible and he says he puts the singles, the solitary in families. Well, that means that he thinks families are better. Families are better. If you're not in a biological family, you need to be adopted in the families. Family of God. We got the picture of somebody who had an accident and they lost an arm. Tragic. And it, it, at first it wasn't Soul Surfer, and at the end of God showing this to me, it became the woman on, on Soul Surfer who Bethany Henson, I believe it was, who Hamilton, who lost her arm to a shark attack. You know, when you have an accident, no matter what happened, life is different for you. Life is different. Something may have happened in your family and life became different. You have to learn to do things differently. You, you can't do things the same. You have to learn to do them differently. And you need some help for some things in order to do it when you have an accident like losing an arm. But you don't say, you know, life is better without arms. Everyone should live without arms. That, that sounds silly. You need to learn how to get help, receive it, and understand there was an accident. Something happened that was maybe beyond your control or maybe you just did something that caused it. But also, people should never say, hey, you don't have any arms. You're bad. Can you imagine walking up to somebody going, you don't have any arms. What a loser. We'd never do that. Yeah, why as the church do we walk up to people who've got a broken family, who something happened to them and they don't have a 
biological mom and dad living in the same household with their kids, why is it that sometimes whether we tell them or just think it, we go, they're bad. They blew it. We embrace. We love. We forgive. We help. Don't feel bad about not having arms. Let me help you. I want to feel and understand how bad it is for you not to have arms, and I want to be your help. We should say things like, can I help you tie your shoes? With the family, we need to say things like, can I take your kids out for an afternoon? Can I come and fix something at your house? We need to embrace those who've, Families have been broken. You know, in time you learn to do a lot of things when you've lost your arms. But you still need help. You can't do it all. Single people, let the body of Christ come and be a help. Body of Christ. Singles are part of the body of Christ. Church, we need to reach out and help those whose arms are missing. Who need a family. God's design for us is to live in families. And, God, and those families, it's His design that they'd be stable, loving, and godly families. This disclaimer was all to say that we need to, we need to preach what God's design is so that we know what we're aiming for. We don't change the rules to make us feel better. We hold up a standard and say, that's what it should look like. Let's help as many people to look like that as possible. And on the way, we're going to encounter a lot of people that don't look like that. Let's help them be the very best that they can be. Strengthened, secure, loved, accepted, encouraged. Walking in forgiveness, walking in redemption. But let's not lower the bar so that we feel better. Let's keep the bar the way Jesus said it and said this is what the goal is. And we live at Romans 8.28. God works all things out for the good for those who love Him. There is no now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So the disclaimer was, was to say, don't feel bad, but we're going to lift up what the Bible says. We're going to lift up the standard of what is best. His design is for us to live in families, unbroken families, stable, loving, godly families. And some of our response is, well, that's never going to happen. You know, we don't live... Like that. We don't resolve and say, well, that's never going to happen, so I'm just going to live in the pit that I live in. And I'm going to let all the other people live in my pit, too. Don't be a crab. You know, crabs, you put crabs in a bucket. You don't have to put a lid on that bucket. Because as one crab begins to climb out of the bucket, the other crabs grab them and pull them back in. It's sad. Don't be a Christian crab. <laughs> you know, there's some. I, I have actually had people say, you know, Matthew was born and Zachary, and they were doing really good, and they said, you don't know what being a parent is. Wait till you get a bad kid. They were actually hoping that we would have a failure. I am, and they were Christian. I thought, what is that? They're a Christian crab. 
if you have it good, I got to pull you down. Otherwise, I'm going to feel bad about myself. Stop it. Lift up the standard. Live for him. Get help to be the best that you can be. And let's glorify God in whatever situation we're found in. Don't resolve to have an unstable, angry, heathen family. Lift up the banner. Let's have godly families. You know, some of us God has given children to. And children do better in stable married families. They, they do. It's just that you find the stories, the statistics. They're all out there. And they're not just Christian. You just find that children do better. In fact, I, I've got one of them here. It's this nine-page... Um, they, they took a whole bunch of information. Center for Law and Social Policy. Doesn't even, I don't think it's Christian. Doesn't sound like a Christian name. Center for Law and Social Policy. Class. Are married parents really better for children? They took all these studies and dissected the information down. Ugh. People who do that are crazy. I'm glad they do. And they come up with the thing. Children from stable married families fare better. Period. Every study says that. Now, the word stable is key in that. The word stable is, is key in that. But listen, it's not that kids can't or won't do well in other situations. God's grace, people helping. Kids can do well, but kids do better in stable married families. That's not the ideal to have a broken marriage. It's not the ideal to get pregnant out of wedlock. It's not the ideal for a husband to go off to war and die right after the child was born and leave mom at home. These things aren't always people's bad choices. Life happens and things change the ideal and God is the redeemer. But we're talking about the word of God and his ideal for families. Kids do better in stable married families. They do best in never divorced stable families. All studies come back to that same basic truth. That kids do better in a stable environment. You know that, that kids do better in stable single-parent family homes than they do in unstable single-parent family homes. Kids do better in, in poverty-stricken stable homes than they do in, non, in poverty-stricken non-stable homes. You know, what a shock. Stability is important for a kid. But as you add each of these things together... See, there's more stability in, a, in an unbroken married family. That's, that's the reason there's stability there. But the, conf, the, the key in that is one of the keys is there's low conflict. That's part of the stability thing. What is stable? Nothing is stable without structural integrity. There is things that make an environment stable or love, acceptance, encouragement to the kids, support, structure. So important. It doesn't, you know, these studies, this thing doesn't say that children do better in perfect married families. Because there is no such thing. Warden June Cleaver. <laughs> they don't exist. And obviously there was problems in that home because look at, look at Beaver. 
I mean, you know, he had some issues. It's not about being perfect, but it's about being stable, being loving, being supportive of your kids. I'm going to talk about a couple of these loving. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is so important in the family. You've got to love. You've got to have love. And love is not a feeling. You know, my kids, they're wonderful kids. But there are days that I don't feel like loving them. I feel like smacking them. Yeah, yeah it goes both ways, right? But there's got to be love. Love is patient and kind. It's not jealous or envious, not boastful or proud. You know, the, the, the two things that love is, I heard this, love is patient and love is kind. Everything else is what it's not. Did you ever think about that? Love is patient, love is kind. Just worry. You be patient. That's why you have kids. Give you more patience. And it's kind. A stable home needs to be encouraging. You need to encourage your spouse. You need to encourage your children. Parent, kids, they even need to encourage their parents. You're doing a good job, Dad. Encouragement is really, really important. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts I think to you, plans to prosper you, to give you hope and a future, not to harm you. God is encouraging to us. He it needs to be encouraging, it needs to be affirming. You need to affirm one another and affirm your children. You can do all things through Christ, which gives you strength. You know, the Bible says that you're the apple of his eye. You're the apple of my eye. Oh, you're different. You don't do things like I used to do. You don't do things like your brother and sister. God's created you so unique. I love that about you. You know, I've got, I've got four kids, but as my two older ones are getting older, they're very different from each other. They're just, they're just really different. Personalities, desires. You know, Matthew, he, he loves people and wants to, you know, make, I don't know if it's going to be ministry or teaching, but he loves to study and to, you know, he's more of a, of a mind and relationship guy. Zach needs to spend more time with Denny because he wants to be a cop. He wants to be, remember when I, he wants to be SWAT. He wants to join the military and then, and then do these crazy things. And, and, and you know, that's, that's how God has created him to be. I mean, these guys are, they're so different from each other. And what we do as parents too often is like, how come you're not more like your older brother? You know, he never gave us any problems. (laughs) You affirm your children and you affirm their differences. You look at your spouse and instead of always saying, you drive me crazy when you do this, you say, man, God made you so unique, and I'm glad you're not just like me. I'm so glad you're not like me, because who needs two of me in this house? If you and I, if you and I agree on everything, one of us isn't needed. You know, you look for those differences, and you affirm them. You affirm those things in one another. Your house has to have structure. Families need structure. And, you know, I'm just going to, you know, if you let your kids make all the decisions in your house, your house has no structure. 
just, you know, there's a lot of that. It's called child-centered parenting. It's the wrong way to do. Kids are not the ones supposed to be in charge. They need structure. God gave them parents for a reason. Be the parents. Give them structure, but do it with love and encouragement and affirmation. Don't rule with an iron hand in your household. You know, the Bible says to build your house on the rock. Rocks are structurally sound. And scripturally, spiritually, that is the foundation for every marriage, every family that makes it best. It needs to be built on the rock of Jesus Christ, the knowledge of him. Now, now, there is some really sad news about divorce. 50, it's more than 50% of marriages end in divorce. It's, that's crazy. And divorce is devastating. Can you, you know, if the statistics said that driving to Big Bear Lake from Big Bear City, there's this 50% statistical probability that you're going to die. Nobody would ever go to Big Bear Lake. But for some reason, we keep getting married. And we should, because God put it into us. But 50% of marriages end in divorce. Praise the Lord. Guess the statistics in the church is the same. It is no longer different. In the church, out of the church, it's 50% or more. Now, there is a different statistic. Within the church, you are less likely to divorce by a great amount. And this comes from, this, this comes from um, let, me, let me find it here, Bradford Wilcox. He did a massive study. It, it's, it was the largest of its kind. It, it's written in a book called Soft Patriarchs, New Men. And I haven't, I haven't read the book, but I got the information from that. For those who are Christian, there are three variables that don't necessarily guarantee success but drop the divorce rate in half. Three things that as a Christian drop the divorce rate in half. Nothing guarantees success. It takes a lot of work, but here's the thing, th three things. You guys want to write these down, right? Now you're already here, so it's, that's good because the first one, the first one is going to drop the divorce rate in half for Christians. It's regular church attendance. Regular church attendance Together. Men, go to church with your wife. Men, if you're listening, go to church. Go to church with your spouse. That's the first one. Second one. Now, let me go back, get back to the first one. My notes say I had to back up. Be part. Be involved. Don't just go. You can't just walk in and be grumpy and leave. Be involved. Go to church. You've got to be part of the community. So don't just go to church. Be involved in a life group if you're here. Be involved in small groups. Be a part of that family, but do it together. Both of you be involved. Be in community. Go to a premarital class even though you've been married. You've messed it up long enough. Go back and learn what you did wrong and start doing it over. Those things happen in, in, the, in the church. Go to church together. Second part, shared theology. Now, I'm talking to single people partly here, too, because those that are single and you're going, hey, I want to get married. Okay? Shared theology. 
You agree on Jesus. You agree on the Bible. You agree on marriage and roles in the family. You have a joint biblical conviction. That's the second thing of these three variables that if we're in place is going to drop the divorce rate in your family in half. Now, if you're out there going, man, I'm already, you know, I'm 0 for 2. The first time I've been in church in four years or whatever it is. So, well, you're on a good track. You're here today. You keep coming and you press in. And then you begin to cultivate this theology with your wife or your husband. And and you, you find that. Do you have that shared theology? And you begin to pray if it's different. The third part, bring your faith home. Bring your faith home. Read the Bible. Read the Bible with your kids. Read the Bible with your spouse. Read Christian books. Watch Christian movies. Bring your faith and let it be active and part of your home life and not just your church life. Join that community group. Children do better in families, married families that are stable, that are godly. Marriages do better when that marriage is built and based on God and theology and the Bible and church attendance. These are things that we can begin to aspire to. These are things that we need God's help with. We're going to continue on in the family series because there's so much more. This morning I want to end with just a charge for each of us. I just gave a a little bit of information, but, but I pray that we heard some of the things on this. The first part of this charge is you need God. You can't do this on your own. You cannot do this on your own. I can't do it. You need the Lord. So the first part is I charge you to commit your life, not just your salvation. If you're not saved, that's the first part. Ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And then give him your life and say, God, I can't do this. I need you in every part of my life. Surrender. The second part of this charge is something like this. I commit in God to create stability in my family. I know that true stability is found in building my house on the rock of Jesus Christ. So I commit to seek help from my family in this issue. My spiritual family in my physical, biological family. I commit in God to work to create stability in my family. And I talked about what that is. You have to have your foundation built in Jesus Christ. To be loving, you have to have those attributes of the Lord living in your family. And you're going to need help. You can't do it on your own. You need the Lord. And you need a family of believers that will walk the walk with you. And that church, the third part is that I commit to looking out for widows and orphans, broken families, disenfranchised, hurting, wounded, isolated. I am not going to walk up to somebody without arms and say, why don't you have any arms? That was dumb. That's what happens when we walk up to people who have a broken marriage. We say, why'd you get a divorce? It happened. There's got to be grace. There's got to be forgiveness. None of us are living in the perfect plan of God for our lives. We've blown it along the way. But where I'm at, I'm perfectly loved. I'm perfectly forgiven. We as the church need to look out for one another, especially for the widows, the orphans, the singles the solitary, the disenfranchised, the hurting, the wounded, the isolated. There are people that come to church every Sunday and they're isolated. Do you know who they are? 
We've got to find them. We've got to hunt them down. Embrace them. I commit to be part of the family of God. Let's stand as we pray these things. If any one of these three or all three of these things are for you, you need God. You can't do it on your own. You need to commit in God to work to create stability in your family. To know that true stability is found in building your house on Him. That you're going to commit to seek help from your family. Or you're just, you're part of the church and and things are, you know, you might even say, you know, my marriage is, it's not perfect, but it's okay. And my, my kids are, are doing well. We have a good relationship at home. How much more as this part of the church, you need to commit to looking outside of your own family for those who need your help, your encouragement, your strength. Look out for the widows, orphans, singles, solitary, hurting and wounded and isolated, committing to be part of the family. Let's raise our hand if that's any one of those or all three of those are you. God, this morning, we cry out, we need you. Lord, the world around us, this nation, is choosing to throw its lot in with the enemy, with immorality and ungodliness. And I need you to remain stable in my life and in my family. And I commit to you, Lord, to work to create stability in my family. And that only comes through knowing you and surrendering my life to you. I need you, Lord. God, help me to die to myself and to my pride and to my fears as I commit to seek help from my spiritual family. And Lord, as you heal us, as you minister to us, we commit to look outside of ourselves and outside of our family for the wounded, the isolated, those that are not in families, those whose families are broken, to be vessels of healing and encouragement and support. Lord, we commit that we are part of the family of God here, right here at Big Bear Christian Center and in our neighborhoods. God, we commit to be part of the family, to look outside of ourselves, and we can only do that in you. God, we thank you for your strength, for your mercy, for your forgiveness. And we know that you're going to do a work in our lives. Help us even today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.